So here's the thing about net neutrality, which I don't think anybody understands. It's like, it's been 12 years in the making. There are lawyers in DC who have been arguing about this for 12 years. And it's like, it's about to happen, right? So I was on a panel in DC (laughs) with these lawyers. And because it's about to happen, no one else is allowed, like it was a full day conference. And no one else is allowed to talk about it because they all work for lobbying groups or senators or the FCC. But I get on the panel, the last panel of the day, 3.50, this panel's, this conference starts at eight in the morning. I'm on the panel full of people who are like not important and we're allowed to talk about it. It was my flippant petition in 2007. And yes, it's still sitting on the docket. Literally, we're talking about 12 years in the making. The guy next to me is like, you people thought this was never going to happen, but I told you it was going to happen. The fact that you didn't believe it doesn't mean you didn't get notice. It was pretty clear that this was on the table. This is really like 12 years of frustrations coming out. And then we like have our little panel and then there's questions. And a guy in the audience is like, well, because you guys broke the barrier of decorum, I'm just going to say it. This is bullshit. This whole thing is bullshit. This is bullshit. You have an opportunity to end this debate so we can move on and talk about things that matter, like actually clearing barriers to lobbying deployment or opening up spectrum or any number of those other things, but you want to keep this debate going. And the other guy on the panel is like, no, I'm going to tell you what consumers are saying. I'm trying to watch my goddamn Netflix. I've paid you, Comcast, Verizon, AT&T, everybody else, big bucks in order to be able to watch my goddamn Netflix, and you're telling me that's still not enough for you unless Netflix agrees to pay you more. F*** you. And like, I'm just there, and I'm, I was like, I literally raised my hand, I was like, I'm sorry, what what was the what was the question? Welcome to What's Tech, a podcast from The Verge. My name is Chris Plant, and I'm joined today by my boss, Nilay Patel. You're not working hard enough. I will never please him. <laughs> this is your first time listening to the show, What's Tech, is a show about, I mean, it's all in the title. What is tech? What is technology? It feels like everything is technology these days. So one by one, I'm trying to answer that for everything. Yeah. This week, we're going to talk about net neutrality because it's a pretty big issue. Yeah. Uh, and massive. big things are happening. A big thing happened. Yes, but let's let's not even hop into that okay. because I know a lot of people have heard net neutrality, but they don't know what net neutrality is. So let's answer that first. What is net neutrality? So net neutrality is this principle that's been around for a long time. This argument's been going on for a decade or more. And it's a pretty simple idea. It's just the It's just the notion that when you request data from someone else on the internet, it all comes to you at the same time, at the the same speed. And your internet provider isn't messing with it in any way. So the data on the internet is neutral. Now, how you enforce that rule and make that rule happen is where the argument really is. And how much we tell the internet providers what they can and can't do with their networks is another big debate. So you wrap all that up together and that set of questions is called net neutrality. So what is the big news around net neutrality? So this is actually interesting. Like moments ago, the news happened and now we're recording this podcast. Um, so today, moments ago, the FCC just voted to reclassify broadband internet as a Title II telecommunication service, which is a very 
sort of wonky legal reclassification. Um, it's the same set of rules that like governs phone service. Um, and that provides a legal foundation for a set of rules that accomplish the goals of net neutrality. So the rules are um, ISPs can't um, block services. So if you have Comcast, Comcast can't block you from installing your own router. They can't block you from uh, going to Netflix. So they can't block any lawful services. Um, they can't degrade services. So Comcast can't slow Netflix down. Uh, and then they can't accept payment to prioritize services. So Netflix can't pay Comcast to be faster. Um, and those are that's a huge set of rules. Like if that is the goal of net neutrality, any device, any service on the network, on the internet, uh, being made available freely without the ISP sort of getting in the way and slowing things down and speeding things up based on their decisions or somebody else's money. Now these seem like not that controversial rules for for humans. Like for the ISPs alone, I, I can see why they would not be pleased about being limited in ways they can make more money off of people. But it seems like the general public would be pretty unanimous, unanimously uh, positive about these these rules. Right, and that's been that's been true. Uh, and the, these principles have been uh, they're so enshrined with how we think of the internet. Right, they they make the internet fair. Um, and you know, one of one of the big constituencies that has been saying, pounding the table, like we need these rules in place, has been small businesses and other businesses that uh, depend on small business owners. So Etsy is way out in front of this. Pound, literally, Chad Dickerson, the CEO of Etsy, is like in Washington, like every week, talking to somebody about net neutrality because his point is, if the ISPs can charge me to go faster, then I'll pass that cost down to Etsy sellers. Who are basically just like people at home crafting, uh, and that's an un- that's an un- that's Comcast just going to level like levy attacks on those people. Um, I keep saying Comcast, but it's Verizon or Time Warner. Or sure, um, but I think most people think the internet is fundamentally fair. You can start a website, you can start a blog, you can go to YouTube and watch a video there, then back out and go to Hulu and watch a video there, and you're paying for a service, which is just access to the internet. You're not paying for a guide. You're not paying for help. You don't need the additional services that your provider will give you. Uh, if you have a Verizon.net email address, uh, you're doing something wrong. You're paying for the pipes. You're paying for the pipe. You're not paying for all the other stuff they're doing. Um, but if you are an ISP, this is a huge problem for you because you would love to make more money by charging Google for uh, prioritizing YouTube. You would love to make more money by just saying to Etsy, yeah, we're slowing you down unless you pay us. Uh, that happened earlier th- uh, last year where Netflix started getting throttled and buffering really hard for Comcast customers. Netflix paid the money and the speeds of Netflix shot up. There's like graphs on the internet where they, you know, you can measure Netflix time, you see it sinking. And then literally what happened was Netflix paid the money and somewhere in a routing closet, somewhere in the middle of the country, pulled a cable out of one router and plugged it into another one. To get that's preferential access. It's yeah. some, you know, like the internet is just cables, right? Like, so somewhere somebody unplugged one cable and literally plugged it into another jack, and Netflix speed shot up for Comcast customers. Um, and that sort of thing, like if you're an ISP, like that's money. Like you're leaving money on the table by saying we're going to be treated, we're going to treat all traffic fairly. Um, and that you know, there's a, that's a strong argument. But I think the stronger argument is that we depend on the internet so fundamentally. It's such a part of our economy. It's such a part of our lives. That you shouldn't let other people's desire for money get in the way of that. Sure. Now, uh, the idea of the internet as a utility has its obvious problems. I mean, the detractors do point out that, you know, uh, the utilities that we already have aren't always the best. 
Uh, and the fear is that, well, if the government's involved uh, in controlling the Internet, that there won't be innovation. And I, I guess I want to know where that argument comes from and how much, you know, truth is essentially to it. I think there is a certain amount of truth to it, but I think the truth doesn't come from it, it's not because of the government. The truth is that there's not a lot of competition in the marketplace. Um, and so the example I always use is you think about the Wi-Fi routers uh, your service provider gives you, right, when you sign up for service. Like, they're not great, right? Like, they're pretty old. Sometimes they're, like, really, really old. They're, like, used. Sometimes they're garbage. Uh, there's not a lot of innovation in that space. Or think about the cable box that a uh, cable provider might give you. They've been the same for a decade. Then you move over to another part of the market where there's lots of competition, which is like Wi-Fi routers at Best Buy. You can just buy your own. And those are getting better every, like every day. Like every day, Asus is like 10 more routers. They got a little bit better. Um, or you think about cell phones where there's massive competition. And in that same 10-year span that your cable box has stayed the same, phones have gotten crazy. Like they're, they're wildly de- better than they were in 2007, for example. Um, that is the problem with the internet access industry. There's so little competition that they're not getting better. And so I wouldn't care if Comcast was throttling the hell out of my connection. If I could easily leave Comcast and get equivalent service from somebody else who wouldn't do that, then my preferences as a consumer would be expressed and the market would react and uh, I would get the product I wanted at a price that I thought was affordable. That's how it's supposed to work. That's how it yeah. works almost everywhere else. But the reality is that I don't have any choices. I live in, for example, New York City. Uh, to get broadband, I can have, in my house, I can get Verizon Fios. That's oh, my choice. That's nice. That's great. I, I, I can only get Time Warner. You can only get <laughs> it's Time Warner. a real treat. Uh, right. And if you want to get, if you want to switch like DSL, it'll be slower. Yeah. Right? So there's not a lot of choice. I actually chose to live where I live because I could get Fios. That's a crazy fact. Like that's you don't think of the other utilities in your life that way. You don't think, man, I'm going to live in this apartment because the water will be good. Yeah, you're right. I'm going to live in this apartment because I know the electricity will like not brown out. You know, it's like that's a crazy way to think about the other utilities. They're a fact of your life. Now, internet service is a little bit different. You can pay for faster service. You can depend on it differently, but it should just be there. We're accustomed to it just being there. And even in wireless, uh, net neutrality rules now apply to wireless for the first time. Even in wireless, it's hard to switch. There's more competition, but it only looks like more compared to wired, right? It only looks like more compared to how hard it is to switch to Comcast. Well, it's a little bit easier to switch from AT&T to Verizon, but it's still pretty hard and like pretty expensive and the phones don't work across, you know, like there's so much difficulty in changing internet providers. They have built in so much lock-in. They have so viciously protected their monopolies that you don't have a lot of choice as a consumer. So these things that you want, like don't screw with my Netflix, you can't express that preference as a consumer. And I think that's where the government has to come in and say, look, the innovation isn't happening on the network, right? Just build the networks, have them be fast, have them be utilities. The innovation and the competition is happening with all the stuff that connects to the network. And a, a, a rhetorical trick that all these companies try to use is Comcast tries to take credit for like the iPhone. They're like, look at how great the internet is. Like, the iPhone didn't even exist before. And it's like, yeah, that you had nothing to do with that. Just nothing. Today they took credit for a potato salad. They, they, did. they took credit for Kickstarter, the <laughs> potato salad Kickstarter. Uh, they took credit for Roku, for Kindles. It's All that stuff is enabled by having a network that allows all that stuff to compete freely in the marketplace, and the best stuff rises. If Comcast was in charge or Verizon or Time Warner, they would just tell you that one's going to win because that company, they would say Samsung smart TVs are the ones that are going to win because Samsung paid us. 
and that is true. If if you are, if you remember how mobile phones used to be, you you could only get Nokia phones on AT and T, and you could only get Sony Ericsson phones on Verizon or whatever. However, that split out ten years ago, and that's because those carriers would negotiate exclusive deals. That's changed over time because consumers have expressed their preference, but it's still kind of weird, right? It's still there's still a lot of control by the carriers over what devices connect to the network, and I think most people would prefer that not to be the case, would prefer the carriers be prohibited from screwing around with the marketplace that exists on the internet. Sure. I have, I have a speed round for you. Yeah. So a bunch of questions that may seem dumb, because they are, but I desperately need answers. Uh, hit me with a few uh, big companies that are supporting net neutrality and that we're helping it get to this point. Uh, so the biggest is Tumblr, which is a part of Yahoo, but it's still Tumblr as an entity is wholly supportive of net neutrality and they've pushed really hard for it uh at one point i think they were scared that yahoo would like get mad at them um you know Tumblr is all these users who are like kids uh and they're they're worried that if you know the sps can control what tumblr does then the kids won't be able to express themselves um etsy another company that's really fighting for it uh you see a lot of google apple in the mix they've not been as loud as some of the other companies Twitter is firmly in support of net neutrality. They're out there talking about it all the time. Uh, basically, what you have is tech companies are really for it. Um, artists and musicians are really for it. And are, are there people who are against it that aren't the ISPs? Uh, yeah, there's you know it's just a weird coalition of groups that are sort of against it, uh, and they are either they get heavily funded by sort of right wing organizations. Uh, so Fox News is against it. Um, cable companies are against it. Like networks are against it in, in many cases. Um, and all of that comes down to if you're not great at the internet, if you're not competing already, you don't have yeah. the tools to compete already, well, you, you're kind of interested in the idea of paying for preferred access. If you're a cable company, you see the internet ready to take the throne, and this is your one chance to essentially buy your way to into control. Right. Success. This is how you start to put the walls up on the garden, right? So I can, you know, like the worst case scenarios, and these are like imagined horrors, right? Like the goal is to have the rules so these bad things never happen. But the worst case scenario is, you know, you buy a phone and that phone has a bunch of apps on it that you get data for free, right? So you're never going to open the app store and try the other apps. You're just going to like be like, whatever, I'll watch this video on A&E's crappy player. Well, that's, that is literally the worst case scenario because what you want is for Aiden to actually have to compete. And that walled garden, I think, is that was what was wrong with smartphones sort of before. That was what was wrong with our mobile networks before. And it's the rise of like the modern mobile that has changed all that and like made this a revolution. Sure. Final question. Yeah. Net neutrality. That is a terrible term. How did we get stuck with net neutrality? Oh, man. That term has been around for a while, and even the guy who coined it, Tim Wu, has said to me, like, ah, this is, these are, this Regrets is, this I have never going to work. It's a, yeah, you know, it's such a wonky concept, and I think what's, a, what's so crazy about it um, is that they tried to call it the open internet for a minute, um, but the open internet is not like a, it's just words. Like, it, it doesn't mean anything. So what happened was the words open internet got co-opted by the other side. So you would see, like, uh, Comcast and the National Cable and Telecommunications Association, like, tweeting, like, we support the open internet. And you're like, what does that mean? And they're like, well, we want to be able to have paid prioritization because, you know, that's open for us. It's our network. And you're like, that's not. And we just fell back on these on this phrase that everybody at least understood what it meant. And there's no chance that the, the proponents of... Uh, 
prioritization where they co-opt the word net neutrality. And it just came back. And I think what's really interesting about it is even in this conversation, we're sort of acting like nobody knows what it is. I was on CNN this morning and we were still kind of pretending that nobody knows what it is. But people do, right? I mean, so many people commented on the FCC's proposal that the servers crashed. It was a John Oliver segment that I think made his career. It made his show. John Oliver talking about net neutrality, I would tell you, is the thing that broke last week tonight into the mainstream consciousness. That's crazy. Uh, consistently on our site, when we write about net neutrality, it's enormously popular. There's a big audience for it, and people actually do understand what it is. Now, the wonky legality of it, let's reclassify broadband as from information service to telecom service. I, that's well, like, I, think, that's, I think that's why people do show up, though, because I think... It, this, to me, is more than most things on our site, a thing that people know what it is and don't know. Where, I mean, even I feel like, yeah, I, I know generally what it is. I could speak to it. But then you get into Title II and my eyes glaze over and I'm lost. Right. So I think, I think there is a hunger for information to know what exactly the future of this thing that we all rely on every day is. Right. And I think that hunger, I mean, that's great. It's, you know, there's a lot of talk today at the FCC hearing about this being democracy in action, right? Like the people have spoken and we're doing what they want. They forced the president to say what he wanted, to be clear, to keep make good on a campaign promise that he made, right? Obama's like, I'll take a backseat to no one on net neutrality and then did nothing for years. And the people spoke and the government has reacted. That's wonderful. They're, they, they do know what they want. I think what the confusion comes in at the sort of the legal mechanism level, right? So the story I told at the top of the show is people yelling about mechanisms. They're not, they're not even arguing about the policy anymore, right? Like the Republican proposal for net neutrality is the same rules now, right? They, they changed their policy position. It's like quietly unnoticed. The Republican policy position on net neutrality is fundamentally the same as the Democratic position, right? No prioritization, no de degradation, no blocking. But they want to do it through Congress instead of Title II at the FCC. Well, who cares, <laughs> right? Like, ultimately, there are, there are lots of repercussions of either approach, and we just have to deal with them. And this is the one that has been switching to Title II in terms of, like, legal academia has been talked about and discussed and understood for so long. Uh, and people have argued about it so deeply that it's probably less risky than, like, let's just pass a law. And I think that that's what's getting lost here. There's, like, a real push to politicize this and turn it into... Democrats versus Republican. But I think the reality is that everybody hates their cable company. And it, it just transcends politics in that way. I think that's a nice note to end it on. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for joining me today. Uh, and thank you for joining us uh, for this podcast. We're called What's Tech. You can find us on iTunes. I would love for you to subscribe. And you know what? While you're there, maybe leave us a little five-star rating and a nice little comment. If you want more of stuff like this, you should read TheVerge.com. Neelai runs it. I write there sometimes about all sorts of strange Not things. Not nearly enough. Every day for the rest <laughs> of my life. Uh, and you should follow us on Twitter. We are at What's Tech. Until next time, we'll see you later.